As parents, you want to have all the answers, and we can help with that. Welcome to Boston Children's Answers Kids Health, a podcast brought to you by Boston Children's Hospital. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Arnold. As a neonatologist and mom, I'm always looking to the future of pediatric health care and how to help parents raise happy, healthy kids. Join us as we share tips and answers from the nation's number one children's hospital. Now let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Boston Children's Answers Kids Health. Thanks so much for joining us as we get ready to talk about your child's internet and online usage and how it can affect them. I'd like to take a moment just to kind of officially introduce you because I'm really excited to have you today, uh, Dr. Rich, as our guest expert. For those in the audience, Dr. Rich is our director here at Boston Children's Hospital at the Digital Wellness Lab and at our Clinic for Interactive Media and Internet Disorders. Thank you, Dr. Rich, for being here today. Thank you for having me. So today's story actually comes from one of Dr. Rich's patients. I have social media. What are some of the bad things about it, and how can I avoid them? In this digital age, I know there are kids that are struggling with this. I know this is the exact same question. My son, who's a preteen, is currently asking me. So I'm just curious, as we think about this question as parents, how can we encourage safe behavior while our kids are on social media and the Internet? Also, How can we feel comfortable getting to yes? Well, I think there are a number of different ways to get to it. It's not just about social media. It's also about the devices, the screens that are all around us. We need to be conscious of how they are influencing children from the earliest moments. One of the mistakes we often make with very young children, with toddlers, is to use that screen as an electronic pacifier to put it in front of a fussy child to chill them out. We really need to shift our attitude toward these devices and think of them as power tools, which they truly are. Think of them the way we would think of a chainsaw or an automobile, right? We don't just hand those things to kids to calm them down because the moment they have that device in their hands, they have an access to the whole world. We need to first model responsible, thoughtful purposeful use of these devices. And then when they need one or when they ask for one, you ask them why. And if the answer to that question is because everyone else has one, that's not using it as a tool. When they figure out that you are looking to guide them toward the use of these tools, you sit down next to them and you say, okay, if you're going to use this tool, here's how you use it. Here is explicitly how not to use it, and you agree with the young person about what they think the consequences should be if they misuse it. That makes all the sense in the world. I think about the answer that I got from my my son, and maybe we're not ready yet. I need to make sure he's ready to use it as as a tool. This is an important subject that I think all parents need to know, and many are fearful about right now, and I want to alleviate their fears and let them know that they can do it. They have the parenting skills. They just have to step into the digital space where their children are spending so much of their time with confidence and competence. Well, you're already making me feel better. <laughs> as a, uh, You're doing great. 
as a uh, <laughs> pediatrician and a, a mom, it's hard to know when to take that step. And honestly, you're a mediatrician, right? So who else can help me feel better about this, uh, how to do this right than a mediatrician? And I'm curious, can you tell me what a mediatrician is and how do you become one? Well, I think all pediatricians eventually need to become a mediatrician. But in my case, I actually spent my wicked youth in the film industry. I was a screenwriter and filmmaker. After 12 years of that, I grew increasingly frustrated with the fact that we weren't creating things that make kids feel better, that make kids do well. And so I had a midlife crisis and went to medical school and became a pediatrician. And as I was coming up in pediatrics, people were starting to get increasingly worried about the effects of television on children's lives. Were they getting overweight? Were they getting aggressive? Were they losing their academic skills? I began doing some really deep dive research on how we're affected by the screens we use and how we use them. And of course, with the onset of the internet being an integral part of our lives, and especially mobile media, we were a leg ahead in terms of really understanding how the screen use would help in positive ways, but also possibly harm in negative ways. That's where it all began, really, right, with television. And now we see the landscape of media just so much more complex than ever before. Thinking about the landscape of media and your expertise, for parents who are probably thinking similar to me. Allowing your child to be on these devices is one thing. When should we put those parental controls on and how do we do that best? You bring up an interesting word because one of the things that the Digital Wellness Lab does, which is kind of different than has been done in the past, is we are actually working with tech companies and trying to bring good, solid public health research, child development research to bear on their process in the earliest stages of their R&D. So mm. that we are not waiting until they put out a product that causes some kids some problems and then criticizing them with our research. We are going to improve the digital ecosystem if we work this problem together. You use the word parental controls. This is something the tech companies use in all their devices thinking they are helping us. Hmm. But there's no kid on the face of this earth who wants to be controlled by his or her parents. Right? Well said. And so... What I'm trying to encourage them to do is change the perspective to parental engagement tools. How can we involve and engage parents in their children's digital lives so that they can not just model good behavior, but mentor good behavior so that when they get that device or get on that platform, they are sitting side by side with the child, much the way they are when the child learns to drive a car another powerful tool, yeah, and they are working it through with them. Now, many parents feel that the kid knows the tech world way better than they do, and that's, in fact, true. The kids are more natural at using tech. But at the same time as they can teach the parent how Snapchat works or Instagram or whatever, the parent can be bringing in the more mature executive functions of impulse control, future thinking, cause and effect, so that that young person realizes that there are implications to what they are doing online and that what they post themselves goes far, goes fast, and is sticky. It will stay somewhere mm -hmm. essentially forever. So I think it's really important to think about the words we use, changing from controls to engagement, but also 
people talk about media rules in the household. Yeah. I like to talk about media expectations for a couple of reasons. Number one is expectations apply to us all, to the parents as well as the kids. And also, rules, to a kid's mind, are naturally made to be broken or mm. pushed, etc. But if they're expectations, it is way worse to have mom disappointed in you than mad at you. So well said. Oh, my goodness. That's so true. When I think about how we all want to parent, right, we want to reinforce the positive and not have to discourage the negative. Mm -hmm. So I like the way you've spun that. What, what expectations should I hold on of myself to help me as a parent engage and ensure safe usage of online media with my kids? The first thing you want to do is, as Mahatma Gandhi taught us, be the change you want to see in your child. In other words, if you don't want your child playing video games, don't be staring at your smartphone all the time while you're yelling at them to turn off their video game, right? Because yep. to a kid, that's the height of hypocrisy. So we have to live the way we want them to live. And what's really interesting is we all know as parents that they hear about 1% of what we say, but they hear 100% of what we do because they're looking to us to model the way successful happy adults live. We don't need to have our smartphones in front of us after hours, right? We've, we've put ourselves in that position and we can protect our own mental health too by saying, you know what, I'm putting this aside. That's really good advice for all of us. That reminds me as a parent, one of the things that I've been doing is try to say at dinner time, no phones, no TV, no nothing. Excellent. I have heard that dinner time is one of those critical times where it's important to engage. So I was curious if you, in addition to just modeling that behavior, are there any other techniques that we can do as parents also to keep that relationship between us strong while we have all this pressure from outside media? Well, I think for one thing, it's a great thing to sit down next to your child and have him or her teach you what they're doing in media. And they can show you how these devices, how these applications work. And at the same time, you know, I mean, you can even sit down and play Grand Theft Auto with them, right? <laughs> By the time you finally figure out the 47 different moves with your thumbs that you can't make anyway to steal a car... Then when you turn and ask, well, why would you want to practice stealing cars over and over again? You're coming from a very different place. Mm -hmm. You're coming as their student or even as their peer, not as a scolding parent. So that's a really important thing is to enter our kids' digital lives with respect for them and to show them that we love them and we want to see what engages and interests them. That definitely hits home for me. Thank you. I think it's going to help all of us, hopefully, as parents, understand our kids' interest in that. Let's bring it back to our patient question, if that's okay. This patient wanted to know how can they convince their parents to allow them to be on social media. When I think about this common question or when should I allow my child to have a phone, any advice you can give to parents who are trying to make a decision about timing and access? Well, I, I think... Many people are focused on certain ages, like somehow magically, for example, at the age 13, they become able to manage everything. And that's in part because of the Childhood Online Privacy Protection Act actually says that companies can't collect personal data on children under the age of 13 to protect them from advertising, et cetera. As a pediatrician and a child developmentalist, I know for a fact that all 13-year-olds are not created equal right, that some 13-year-olds are able to handle social media 
some 30-year-olds are not able to handle social media, quite frankly. I'm, instead of going at it from a legal standpoint, I want to look, go at it from that standpoint of it's a tool. What is it doing for you? How is it helping you? Where are the pitfalls that you may run into? How do you, as a child of whatever age, feel I can help you to succeed, but also I can help put some guardrails in when you go off the road? I think that when you develop that together with the child, they have ownership of it as much as you do. So it's not you coming down from on high saying, look, I'm going to take your phone away for a while because you're really out of control. You're not using it well. And I've actually had kids voluntarily turn their phones over to their parents because they realized they got into trouble and they were already noticing the consequences to them. And they said, look, I can't control this the way I want to control it, not just that you want me to control it. Every child is different, and we've got to just sort of... Absolutely. As a parent, I mean, yeah, as a parent, you know your kid better than anyone else. Absolutely. And, And I want to reassure parents that they already have really important parenting skills. In fact, all the parenting skills they need for this situation. They just need to be able to step into the digital space the way they do in physical space and use the same values, the same perspectives that they do and recognizing that unlike us, the kids don't see online, offline worlds. They don't think of real life and virtual life. It's one seamless ecosystem to them. And we have to recognize that and we have to be as present and involved with them in their digital lives as in their physical lives. Oh, wow. This parenting thing is not easy, I'm going to tell you. No, no. They didn't give us all the lessons we needed to learn. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. As a parent, every child's different, and we're trying to pick the right time based on your child. But how do you handle siblings when my 13-year-old is maybe more mature than my rising 13-year-old? One says, well, so-and-so got the cell phone at that age? Why can't I? How do you manage that or recommend that parents manage that when there's a discrepancy for quote-unquote fairness? Well, I, I move it out of the realm of fairness, right? There is no law or constitutional right to having a smartphone or an Instagram account. I think that it's okay to have graduated ability to use these tools. And in fact, one of the things that I've been talking to the tech companies about, quite honestly, is instead of banning Instagram for kids, I think we should actually have the equivalent of a graduated driver's license where we actually teach kids to use social media effectively. And as they get better, they can level up and have more freedom to do things with it, as opposed to just sort of saying, no, we're shutting it down. It's toxic. I think the whole idea of screens and media as toxic really gets in the way of effective parenting and effective life. And we need to realize that these are part of our world and we need to learn to live well in both senses of the word well in it. Oh, that's really important. It's it's also, I feel like at times, probably pretty hard for parents to not be hard on themselves as well. Oh, yes. There is so much parental guilt. So Guilty as the, charged. Well, and, and you know what? Let's put the guilt aside. There is no reason to feel guilty. 
I grew up in a time when there weren't seatbelts in cars, right? That doesn't mean that I don't put seatbelts on myself and my children now because we've learned more. So that's the first thing. The second thing is kids are amazingly resilient. Kids will come through some incredibly tough things and do really well. If we give them the support and the protection that they need, if we let them fall down and skin their knee once in a while and learn from that themselves. So I think that going back to this idea that parents are in total control of their kids' lives, they're not, right? And ultimately, while we can use good science to guide our parenting, ultimately parenting is an art, not a science, right? And we are not going to do it perfectly, but we can keep perfecting it. Ah, I like that. So, you know, keep trying. (laughs) And don't waste any energy on guilt because you're going to need that energy to do the hundreds of risk-benefit analyses you make every day as a parent. That's right. Every You're right. Every decision we make is full of that. (laughs) Right, exactly. And what we're trying to do is to help parents guide their way through the arc of childhood knowing what the developmental tasks are, knowing the ways in which the screens in our lives can actually support and educate and empower these kids, as well as what are the potential pitfalls so that these parents can go in knowingly just the way they do when they put their child on a bike for the first time, that they can use those skills, those artistic skills (laughs) of parroting in ways that are informed about the digital space and that allow their children to grow and actually teach them, the parents, as they go. Now, what if, as a parent, so I'm trying to constantly perfect, but I feel like maybe I have made a mistake or, you know, we've gone down the path of too much. I see see that my child's engaging in media so much that they have what we call in our household the Krankenstein factor. (laughs) And they're just not themselves. And I've, I've now thought, okay, I've let them have too much. How can we backtrack or get back on track in a situation like that? I think one of the things that you can do is sit down with a child and say, you're cranky, what's what's going on? So allow them to be aware of their own unhappiness, mm. their own discomfort, right? And work your way back to how we might change that. I think that's one of the things. And the kids will, you know, fight to defend their gaming or whatever it is, even despite that. Another thing you can do is acknowledge that you are imperfect. We together have gone to a place that is not making you happy, right? Mm. So maybe we can do it not by banning the game altogether, but saying, you know, what I notice is you're really happy, you know, when you play for 15 minutes, but when you play for an hour, you're cranky. What about if you got that hour of play in four 15-minute chunks? Mm. and did other things in between so that it didn't feel so uncomfortable to stop. Yeah. Because video games, quite honestly, are designed to keep hooking kids in. They make money by getting the kid all the way through it because then the kid needs to buy the next version and the next version. But ones that are online, it's about grabbing eyeballs, clicks, ultimately dollars. So this is designed in by very sophisticated psychologists. I think we have to recognize that they are being pulled away from something that's pulling at them and design our lives around it in ways that allow them to enjoy 
the screens in their lives as part of a rich and diverse menu of experience in their day, but not let it take over. Yeah, and finding those other things that our kids enjoy, I I have found to be really important. And difficult because gaming and screens are the path of least resistance Uh, in many cases, you know, because it's a whole lot easier to sit down in front of a screen than it is to go find the basketball hoop on the garage or to call up friends and say, can we hang out? Here's another thing that I really think we need to preserve as parents and as kids. We have to bring back boredom. We have to bring back boredom because we are so averse to boredom, we can't get on an elevator without staring at our phone. I was coming out of the hospital a little while back and turned west to go to where my car was parked and saw a brilliant, beautiful sunset. Wow. And everyone on the street, they were looking at their smartphone and they missed it. And we run the risk of losing touch with the world, with each other, because we are so focused on not letting a moment go of of boredom instead of using that boredom to create, to think the new, to imagine, and to dream, because boredom is where creativity and imagination happen. Kids don't lie on their backs in the grass making shapes out of the clouds anymore. Isn't that too bad? And Einstein When late in his life, he was asked, how in the space of one year did you create the three pillars of theoretical physics with your papers? And he said, it's because I was bored. Wow. He was working as a patent officer in Switzerland, and he was bored so his mind could travel in space and time. I think that's such valuable advice. Absolutely. Boredom is not a bad word. Boredom is not a bad word. Boredom is adventure. Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right. I think we need a t-shirt that says that. (laughs) I want to make a t-shirt that says bring back boredom. Oh, let's do it. As we get near the end here, there is one question that I wanted to ask related to viral trends that I'm hearing on social media. They exist on TikTok, Instagram, where people actually record themselves getting hurt for engagement, for views, from your perspective and your expertise. How do we as parents keep our kids from getting involved in those challenges? We talk and we listen to them. No kid wants to say, I'm going to go out and break my arm now. But that means that people are doing things increasingly risky, increasingly edgy respond to that is to kind of bring your kids down to some level of common sense and say, okay, if there weren't the pull of millions of people out there wanting to view you hurt yourself, would you do that? I think that the important thing here is to make it safe for them to share with you what they are doing and what they are going through. A lot of kids, and I know you have tweens, will scream, I need my privacy. I don't want you in this space. But here's the problem. For a 13-year-old, privacy means only so mom and dad can't see. They don't conceive of what will happen when it's put out into the world of strangers because they figure they're buffered, they're protected from strangers. And so I think that we need to say, listen, with this power tool I am introducing into your life, I need to be there to help you with it. I need to be there. And it is okay for you to give me your passwords 
because I'm there to help you. So just as a parent would never send a child to off to a party where they didn't know the parents and they didn't know if there were drugs or alcohol or weapons there, we shouldn't just sort of cut kids loose on the internet, which is far more diverse with far more scary possibilities than any party would give. But we somehow think that it's not as real. It's not as threatening. And unfortunately, it truly is. Everything from buying illicit drugs online right through to, you know, people actually harming our children intentionally. Oh, so like everything else, it's the good comes with the... Right. But we shouldn't be fearful. We shouldn't act out of fear. We should act out of knowledge and confidence and openness with our children that allow them to feel safe coming to us. Much as we want them to feel safe, if they go to a party and alcohol does show up and they drink some, we want them to call us up and say, pick me up and bring me home. Wow. As you're sharing all of these tips with me, it sounds a lot like the techniques that apply to us in the media world are very similar to the same techniques that can help us as parents in every other aspect of parenting. Exactly. And that's why parents already have the skill set they need. They just need to translate it into the digital space. Thank you, Dr. Rich. This has been an amazing conversation. Do you have any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share? I tell kids and their families that instead of seeking out killer apps, we should seek out our killer bees. And there are three killer bees. The first one is be balanced in our screen and our non-screen time. Use our screens for what they do best and turn them off when they are not the best tool for the job rather than making it default. The second one is to be mindful of what they are displacing that we're not doing because we're on a screen, including having a conversation, including playing a game with someone, including being bored. And the third and perhaps most important one for parents especially, but also for their children, is be present. Because when we are on a device, we are not present. We are elsewhere. And so the three killer bees are be balanced, be mindful, be present. That's really wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Rich. Now to the part of the show we're calling Doctor's Orders, where we prescribe positive action that any parent can take to help you and your family stay healthy. For this week's Doctor's Orders, keep in mind that you as parents do have the skills to take care of your child in this digital space. Kids don't see the online and offline as separate worlds. It's really one world that they move seamlessly between. Dr. Rich, if you have any other advice or prescriptions you'd like to give to our listeners. I think they should enjoy their media and use them wisely. Use them with their children and use them in ways that model for their children. And I often talk about the five M's, And they are modeling good behavior, mentoring use of these devices, monitoring their use when they are using them, and making memories. And what I mean by making memories is I don't remember a thing I watched on television as a child, but I remember the times I played catch with my dad or played capture the flag with other kids. So we don't make memories when we're on a screen. We make memories when we're with humans struggling with all of the funky, weird stuff that humans do. 
and learning to enjoy it. And through all of that, we master this environment. Parents, please try not to waste energy on worrying if you made a mistake giving your kids a phone or a TV in their room or access to that device. Every parent knows their kid better than anyone. So finding boundaries that work for you and your family are key. We're always getting better and we're always a work in progress. Don't forget the three B's and the five M's. I am not going to. With that, I'd like to thank our guest expert today, Dr. Michael Rich, and our guest patient. And if you want to hear more, please don't forget to subscribe to our show to see the latest episodes on a monthly basis. Have a great week. Be well. Take care. Bye-bye.